Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so if you have a Bible, go to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to jump right in. Actually, before we get rolling, let's read the scripture together. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. One, because it shows reverence for the Word of God. Uh, All of our locations, go ahead, West, Halifax, Charlottetown, online, if you're in your home. It shows reverence for the Word of God. And two, I don't want you to get too comfortable. I mean, lean in and, and, and be in this with me today. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read this out loud together. Can we do that? Just just the blue part. I want you to read the blue part. I don't know if you can see that. That's blue on camera, but verse 11. I'll read the rest, and we're going to just declare this together. All right, you ready? Oh, okay. We've got a smattering of readiness. I'll go with it. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our Lord, our God, and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Amen. Who accuses them day and night before our God. Now let's read this together out loud with conviction. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Amen. Then he goes on and says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, And you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. This is God's word. Go ahead and grab a seat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We just say that it's true and it's always good for us and it's always pertinent. It's always relevant. And so, God, we open our hearts and our minds. Would you speak to us today, God? Holy Spirit, would you help me deliver what you want to say? I just declare, even when I'm feeling good, it's not my giftedness or my physiology that makes your word go out. It's your grace and your goodness and your power. And when I am weak, you are strong. So, Father, would you speak to your church and equip us today with the good news of the gospel that we may overcome. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. Well, we are in a series uh, study. We're studying the last book of the Bible called Revelation. There's no S in Revelation. It's just Revelation. It's not Revelations. In fact, this week, I got a little bit of a scare because uh, I texted Bradford and, and asked Bradford, do you want to preach in October? Uh, I was just doing some work on the sermon schedule, and Bradford wrote back and said, is it a standalone or Revelations? And I said, please, tell, I texted right back, please tell me that S is sarcastic right now. You did not just put an S on Revelation. And he's like, whoa, 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 autocorrect, auto autocorrect. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I don't know. I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> the Lord knows. But we are in a book uh, called Revelation where we're, we're, we're trying to decode what it has been a very mysterious and often confusing book of the Bible for the church over the last several centuries. And we've been really benefiting from this book. It's been teaching us a lot and it's been true to its name as we have studied it. The book of Revelation really is all about that revelation, showing us something we haven't yet seen. That's the whole purpose of the book, that we might see. The claim of the book is, look, there's more 
more going on than meets the eye. You might think you see the whole picture, but this provides us a lens to see what we have not seen. Primarily, it wants us to see the risen Christ, the lamb that was slain who's seated on the throne, that we are to see that above it all, like we just sung, he reigns. In spite of or despite what you see or may think or may experience, the claim of revelation is behind the veil of this physiology and behind the veil of our circumstance, the lamb is on the throne, make no mistake about it. That's the whole claim of the book of Revelation. But then it also gives us a whole lot of information through the form of apocalyptic imagery. And these images are to help us understand something, again, that we haven't seen. They're to provide a glimpse and a communication tool into helping us perceive what we have not. And primarily, it gives us a lens to perceive not just the future, but the present in light of the future— And also the present in light of the hidden realities of the present. The claim of the book of Revelation is there's all kinds of things currently at work and around us that you just can't see with your physical eye. They're only perceived by the spirit. And this helps us see that. And last week we came right down to the smack dab middle of the book in Revelation chapter 12. And we found something just amazing. It pulled back the whole veil for us and it showed us the root of the problems of this world. We found out that there is an enemy at the center causing all of this disruption and dysfunction and chaos and division and depression and despair. That behind it all, it's not just circumstance. It's not just evolution. It's not just survival of the fittest. It's not not just the second law of thermodynamics. It's not just entropy. But in fact, there is an enemy who's behind it all, who is plotting against the glory of God and trying to destroy that which he loves, namely us. And so we've discovered last week, the book of Revelation revealed our true enemy, the devil, in the form of a dragon. It's an image of a dragon. And we looked at that last week. And maybe some of you who were here last week and you heard that message, how many of you maybe looked a little bit different at the world's events last week? Maybe when you saw the Taliban and what's happening in Afghanistan as people are desperately trying to flee to safety. Maybe you saw beyond just some bad ideology and some oppressive regime. Maybe you saw there was something behind the thing, the thing behind the thing. How many of you might have looked at the news a little different this past week? Maybe you're seeing things go on around the world with a bit of a different lens. That's what Revelation is trying to get us to see, to see the enemy, the thing behind the thing. Maybe in your own life even, maybe in your own life, in your marriage struggles, maybe you're a little more aware that maybe it's more than just we're having a bad time. Maybe there's something behind this that is causing this disruption and dysfunction. It doesn't take a whole lot of inspection or faith to look around our lives and look around the world and to actually conclude that there is objective evil and there might actually be a devil. You know, if it looks like a devil and talks like a devil and walks like a devil and quacks like a devil, it's probably a devil. I don't know if the devil quacks, but you know what I'm saying. And so we learned last week that there is an enemy at the middle or behind it all. But we also learned some good news, that this devil has been thrown down, that he has been defeated, that he's been conquered, that that the devil is in fact not in charge. Although we are, as we found out, and we'll talk about a little bit more, we are constantly feeling the effects of him He is not the one who is seated on the throne in the book of Revelation over and over wants to remind us and wants to remind you that the devil is not in charge, that 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 there was a, a child born and that this child, his name is Jesus, he actually conquered the evil one and we discovered that last week. 
And yet, we also found out that we aren't immune to his works. And we found out that he was thrown down out of the heavens, but he now resides on the earth. And his time is short, and he is trying to devour all that he may. And that's really where we left off. But I want to just circle back around this week and hit really the central verse of the entire book of Revelation. The one that... I know the Holy Spirit and the one that probably the Apostle John, as he was writing, was like putting that right dead smack in the middle so that the first Christians and every Christian since then would have grabbed onto that as the, as the point of, of imp, like to be implored at this, this idea. And it's this, in verse 11, they have conquered him. The enemy is a real thing and really out there seeking to devour whom he may devour. But they, the people of the lamb, have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I want to talk about how does that work? How does the blood work? And how do we work our testimony? And how do those things, how does the blood And the word of our testimony, how do those things enable us to conquer the works of the evil one? Some of you right now are feeling the onslaught of your life. Well, the the admonition of the book of Revelation is you can actually overcome, you can actually conquer the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So I want to give us a richer understanding of what that means this week. Just to spend a couple minutes to dive down on the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony to just kind of get a richer understanding. But before I do that, before we kind of unpack what it means to to live a life applying the blood of the lamb and proclaiming the word of our testimony, before I unpack that, I want to just state something that needs to be stated. And that is this. I don't have to know how something works to know that it works. Can I get an amen? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have to know how my iPhone works. I just know that it most of the time works. Right? I don't know how it works. The computer chips and all the stuff in there, software, hardware, all the things. You know, I don't know how it works. I just know if I press this button, I can do certain things, right? I don't, let me, let me change the illustration. I don't know how bacon and maple are this match made in heaven. I don't know how the chemistry and the biology just seem to have this beautiful romantic dance to create this match made in the heavens. I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. Can I get an amen? Yes, my bacon people. Can't fail with a bacon analogy most of the time, except for you vegans. Someone just left like, no. I don't have to know how something works to know that it works. And I I want to just state this. I don't have to know how Jesus works to know that he works. I don't have to know, I don't have to have a PhD or a degree in theology. I don't have to be able to to memorize the scripture, although all those things are good and they provide a richer understanding and we'll go to that. But I want to just make sure we get the cart behind the horse. This faith is meant to be a simple faith. The gospel is a simple message. It's hard it's not stupid, but it, you, you're supposed to receive it simply. And you know what I've found out to be true? And I've, I was thinking about this because I wanted to just state this before we dive a little bit deeper. I have noticed something, that the greatest saints have simple faith in the sufficiency of the gospel. 
They don't need to explain it. They don't need to dive any deeper. They just state it. Matter of fact, I just trust. I just believe. I just try to obey. I just try to rest on the promises of God. I don't need a lofty explanation. I just have simply and humbly chosen to believe and I've found out that it works. I've seen that to be true. Did anybody hear Pastor John Simons just a couple weeks ago share the gospel at the end of his message? Just how simple and yet deeply rooted that was. He just, just stated, you know what? Jesus died for your sins. He rose in victory and you can have eternal life too. And you knew he believed it. And there was this power to the simplicity, that childlike faith, that simple trust, simple obedience, Simple commitment, simple confidence. I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. And I've been following Jesus long enough to say that's true. Has anybody just put Jesus to the test and said, you know what? I had to leap over some of my unbelief and my unanswered questions. I don't totally know how it works. All I know is when I started pressing the Jesus buttons, it started doing some cool things in my life. You don't have to know how it works to know that it works. And I've noticed that the greats have a real simple faith. I remember my grandmother Ingersoll. I mean, she knew more scripture than all of us. But I'll tell you what, when you talk to her about Jesus, there was just, she just, she just gushed the simplicity of her faith. I go to church. I pray every day. I read my Bible. I trust and obey. It's very simple. It's hard, but it's simple. And there is something to be said about a simple faith. In fact, Paul talked about it. God designed it this way. Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Its power is actually in the simplicity and our humble ability to receive it as children. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the, the intelligence or the, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly, the humility, the simplicity of what we preach to save those who believe. And let me just preach that to somebody today. If you are waiting for an explanation to check all the boxes, you will not enter the kingdom. You humble yourself and say, I'm just going to trust Jesus at his word. And that's where you find out you don't have to know how it works to know that he works. He rushes in and somebody needs, needs to hear that today. Maybe you're waiting for God to spell something out for you and you just need to trust and obey to step in and say, you know what? I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. A simple faith. This faith is simple. It's not stupid, but it's simple. That said, there's value in getting a deeper, a deeper understanding of what God means. It roots us. It helps us build ourselves up. It, it helps us be mature. Paul also talks about maturity so that we're not tossed around by every wind of ideology and doctrine. Anybody noticing the winds of ideology and doctrine blowing this time in our lives? They're blowing. And so we need to be rooted. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And so let's, let's dive back in. Let's unpack They have overcome, they've conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Let's break that down. I want to talk about how the blood works and how the word works. So let's talk about the blood for a minute. The blood. How do we apply the blood? How does the blood work to help us overcome? How does Jesus' blood help you overcome your fight against addiction? 
or your fight against depression or your fight against despair or fear or anxiety or grief or whatever it is, insecurity, whatever it is you're going through, how does the blood of Jesus help us overcome? Well, first, what does the blood mean? What is the blood getting at? What's it trying to tell us? Simply put, whenever you hear someone refer to the blood, it's referring to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. There is not some like physiological uh, collection of the actual blood of Jesus somewhere. That, That is gone. However, spiritually speaking, and in the story of history, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, his blood is lasting. And it's still effective even today. The blood of Jesus is referring to what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that he died and poured his blood out for you and I. Now, if we had time, we could do a flyover in the scripture and actually look at what the blood, the symbolism of the blood is. But to put it very simply, blood equals life. Blood is life. And you know that in biology, right? blood is life. And that, in fact, for things with blood to live, they actually need to, something needs to die for life to continue to go on. And And the scripture actually threads that needle. It says over and over, there's this scarlet thread from Genesis to Revelation that shows that it was the blood of Jesus that actually enables life to go on. And for humans to live, we need blood. And that's what the blood of Jesus is getting at. The blood of the lamb is a picture of the gospel, the sacrifice of Jesus. If you go to the Old Testament in Genesis where Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that God did was he killed animals and provided coverings for their shame and their sinfulness, right? First thing. Genesis 4, go to the next page. It talks about how Cain killed Abel and his blood, his lifeblood cried out to God. And you see this thread of the blood all through the scripture. You go into Exodus and you see it was the blood of a lamb over the doorposts of those who believed that spared them from the angel of death. That's where they get the celebration of Passover. If you go to the book of uh, Leviticus, you find this whole system built on sacrifice and blood as a representation of how we can be made right with God. If you go into the book of Joshua, again, you see the the blood, you see the scarlet thread of Rahab sparing that family from the execution. And over and over you see the blood as this picture. And yet we find in the Old Testament that the blood of sheep and goats was insufficient. That a temporal thing can only provide temporary relief. And eternal blood is going to need to be provided for our eternal life. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where the sacrifice of what he did on the cross comes in. That's why it says in Hebrews that he is our sacrifice once and for all, our atoning sacrifice. That's what it's talking about when it talks about the blood. The blood of Jesus is the picture. It's the exchange of his death for our life. His righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness, God's mercy over judgment, vindication over condemnation, justification over our conviction, freedom over our bondage. That's what the blood represents. It's the saving work of Jesus Christ. The blood is what Jesus did for you and me so that we could live. His death for our life. That's what the blood is. Really quick, if some of you Bible nerds, you want some stuff to study later. 
what the blood does. Here's what it does. Here's what Jesus accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection. The blood has reconciled us. We have been brought back to God. He has bridged the gap of separation. It redeems us and cleanses us and purifies us. The blood of Jesus, it says in 1 John, cleanses us from some unrighteousness. Some of you are beyond help. No! There, man, I'll tell you what. You haven't been around church and following Jesus very long. If you haven't heard that lie whispered into your spirit, though, no, not that sin. No, not that day. No, I have it in writing. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Your sin is not more powerful than his blood. Let that, let it hit. Your sin, oh, it's bad. No one's saying it's not. I'm just saying that the blood is gooder. (laughs) Sinuses. The blood is better. It's more powerful. Someone needs to just rest in that. The blood is more powerful. The blood forgives. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us again. There it is. He justifies. What does justification mean? I heard the Southern preacher say, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. The blood restores us and heals us. Peter quotes Isaiah, by his wounds you have been healed. His punishment is our vindication. His wounds are our healing. The blood ultimately gives life. Jesus' blood is eternal. That's, that's the, the incredible nature of it. It's not just a one-time sacrifice, which would be mind-blowing to think that God would love us to give his son. But his son is not just any son. This is God in the flesh. This is an eternal sacrifice. It's a once-and-for-all sacrifice. So that means that God, Jesus doesn't have to keep dying daily. It means that his once-and-for-all sacrifice is available to us once and for all. It's amazing. Read Hebrews sometime. So... That's what the blood means. So how can we, what does it mean, hang with me, to apply or to live or to overcome under the blood or the work of Jesus? How do we, how do we live our lives to overcome our battles and the attacks of the evil one under the blood? One of my favorite passages of scripture that show or illustrates in a practical way what it means to live covered by the work of Jesus is in Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, go there. I'm just going to study it for a minute together. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, he illustrates living life under the work of Jesus like a soldier who's been covered and equipped with armor to deal with the onslaught of a battle. And so he says it like this. Let's break it down. He kind of gives us some components of what it means to apply the work of Jesus to our lives. This is how what Jesus did affects your life in real time. Hang with me, let's study it. Some of you, this will be review, but it's, it's worth retelling as we'll talk about in just a second, over and over. So Paul says this, Paul is, picture this, in jail, probably looking at a Roman guard when he's writing this to the church in Ephesus. And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, they overcame, You may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then he breaks it down. Here's what it looks like to stand firm and to stand covered by the work or the blood of Jesus. First, he says, stand therefore, having fastened, what's this? Say it, read it with me. The the belt of truth, the belt of truth. Now, a soldier's belt in Roman days actually wasn't just a fashion piece 
How many of you just wear a belt because it feels weird to not have one? You don't actually need it to hold up your pants. My pants wouldn't fall down if I took my belt off, but I just wear it because I feel better. But for, for a Roman, for a Roman, a belt was actually a physical piece of technology that held their whole equipment all together. That every part of their uniform and their weaponry actually connected into the belt. And so the imagery here that Paul is trying to give us is that what is central to you? What is the central piece of truth, the belt of truth, that central connecting piece of truth that holds everything together? He's saying you overcome by this centrality of knowing who God is and what he's done for you. Overcoming by the blood, your ability to stand in the battles and storms of this life, it ultimately comes down to whether or not at your core you can hang on or fasten into the truth of God. That's really the entirety of the battle. Are you fastened in to the truth of God despite what the doctor's report said? Despite what your bank account reads? Despite what happened last night? Are you fastened into the truth of God? That's how we overcome. First and foremost, fasten into the belt of truth. It's about your knowledge of God. Your ability to stand depends on whether or not you have the truth of God at your core. And let me just remind you again, The truth of God is under attack in our day, at least in my lifetime, like I've never seen it. It might be in a different form, but it is, it is full on assault. We live in a time right now where, where truth isn't just relative anymore, but now relative truth is being rewritten into things that aren't true. And people who dare hold on to the belt of truth are going to be accused as to be bigots or what have you. Are you fastened in to the belt of truth? Whose word, what truth encompasses your life? Let me tell you, if you fasten into the belt of my truth, living my story, good luck. Those weapons will not stand. But the belt of truth and the word of God will stand. It says, fasten into the belt of truth. Whose truth, whose truth are you living according to? Let me just say, church, The next time you hear somebody say, just living my truth, you should just like be like, oh God, help us. For real, breathe a prayer. And, and if you have a brother or sister that's saying that, lovingly correct them. Seriously, just say, don't live your truth, please. Do us all a favor. Do yourself a favor. Don't live your truth. Don't live my truth. Live God's truth. That's where life is. Amen? Then he goes on, he says, then put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of of righteousness. What's that? The, the, well, it's that piece of metal that would go over a soldier's chest. And that was the actual piece that covered the critical vital organs. That's what a breastplate did. And why is Paul talking about that? Because ultimately the enemy is trying to get at you through lies right to your heart. He's attacking your heart, your sense of self-worth, your sense of purpose, your sense of acceptance, your, se your sense of having been known by God, that he's actually attacking your heart. And so Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? The answer is almost always Jesus. Yes, Jesus. It's Jesus's righteousness. To live under the blood is to live under the work of God. And the central idea of what Jesus did on the cross is he gave us his righteousness. So when you and I stand before God, 
we don't stand in the accusation of our sin or our track record. We stand in the vindication of the son and his track record. Oh, that's so good. That's such good news. So think about it like this, because this plagues the church. I know, because I, I got saved probably 400 times by the time I was 20. That's because I did not know how to wear the, the breastplate of righteousness. And every time I had a bad day, I thought that my salvation moved with it. Oh, man, my salvation is not connected to my performance or yours. My salvation is connected to Christ's performance. That's wearing the breastplate of God's righteousness. That's why there is no condemnation. If I don't have that thing on, yeah, those daggers and those arrows from the enemy, they get right to the heart because I know I'm a sinner and I know what I've done and I know the blackness that's still in my heart that God continues to try to work out and root out. But when I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I remind myself and I remind my accuser, I am saved by grace through faith. I stand forgiven, not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I wear the breastplate of righteousness. That's why if you had an amazing day yesterday and you were walking down the streets of St. John prophesying and singing in tongues and you fasted all your meals or you went downtown and you were flipping people off and trying to hide your King's Church sticker on your bumper and like you were like just a terrible day, guess what? Your status before God doesn't change. God has established your righteousness in his blood. That's what it means to put on. Our performance for God cannot change our standing with God. That's fastening in. Someone needs to put the breastplate back on. Don't let those things get to our heart. Then he goes on. He talks about the readiness, the gospel of peace. So you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Then on your feet, how many of you know how important your shoes are? Has anybody ever like hiked outside for like more than 20 minutes in the cold? Most important thing I would argue is that your feet are warm and comfortable if you're going to go long distances. And I love this analogy. And actually the Romans, one of the reasons they had a lot of technology that none of the other armies have, but one of the big pieces was their footwear. They had footwear that just set them apart from all the other armies and forces of that day. So he says, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So like gospel shoes. What does that mean? The, the imagery is being planted in the truth of the gospel. It's knowing that by the blood of Jesus... I am at peace with God, which how many of you know that's the big problem? If you don't know that, let me tell you. It's like the A.W. Tozer quote. The biggest problem when you realize it is the problem of God. That we all have a holy God that we have got to figure out how to reconcile this life with. And we, when we find out the truth of the gospel, that God has made peace with us by his own blood, A.W. Tozer says that relieves an infinitude of other pressures that don't matter as much. We've been made, there's peace with God. There's peace with ourselves. If God can forgive you, you best be able to forgive yourself. If God can accept you, you should be able to accept yourself. There's peace with self. There's peace with others. 
You can't not be a minister of reconciliation and be reconciled to God. So we stand in that peace. We walk and operate from and in a place of peace. We're grounded in peace. And how many of you experienced that? I'm looking here at the valley. I see some people who have lost loved ones. I see some people who have gone through cancer. I see people who have lost children even. And you have testified to the God of peace who has been with you in every season, storm, and circumstance. The peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. To walk established in peace is what it means to be grounded, to to have gospel shoes. And then it goes on, it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What's he talking about the shield of faith? Well, a Roman had a shield, but their shield actually was wood and then it was laced in iron and then leather and wool. And the the leather and wool on the outside would actually be there to actually catch flaming arrows and smother the, the fire. And so there's a real imagery right there that Paul is using, talking about how faith actually diffuses the fiery arrows. How many of you know that sometimes the enemy comes in hot? Yeah, somebody, somebody in the back knows. Like, yes, comes in hot. But how many of you have actually stood in faith long enough to see that thing diffused? That's what it means. Like, like Paul, uh, James says, resist the devil and he will flee. Some of us, we feel the attack and we just go down. Like, ah! Resist. That's what the shield of faith is. Like, I stand in this. I'm not going to live by sight. I'm not going to live according to my feelings. I'm going to stand in faith. Stand in faith. Use the shield of faith. That's how we suffocate the lies of the enemy. That's how you suffocate the condemnation. Like somebody, I just talked about how you are, you you have the breastplate of righteousness on. Receive that in faith and watch condemnation dissipate through today. I guarantee it. Receive it in faith that you are made right with God by the blood of Jesus. And you watch those lies of the enemy get weaker and weaker and weaker the more you hold hold out that faith. The flaming arrows. Faith blocks the arrows and puts out the fire. Then he goes on and he says, the helmet of salvation and take the helmet of salvation. I love this one. The helmet of salvation. How many, you know, how many gamers do we have that know the headshot is the most lethal? Any call of duty people? Yeah, the headshot's just bang, done. You get any zombie fans, headshots, right? Is that way too graphic? The vegan already left, so we're, we're good, but... What's he talking about the helmet of salvation? Well, your, 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 your head is the most vulnerable space on your whole body in a battle. And if you don't have a helmet on, you are most vulnerable. And the Bible actually tells us that the enemy attacks us right here between the ears. That's where he's going after you. He's trying to get in your head. He's trying to blind you from the knowledge of God and blind the minds of unbelievers to deceive and twist the truth of God. That's what he goes after. The God of this age, it says in 2 Corinthians tries to blind the minds of unbelievers. And so that when you put on the helmet of salvation, you're putting on the helmet of the truth that your mind is protected, that your life is protected. The word here, when it says salvation, is the word soterios, and it's actually used in the future tense. So what's it mean? It means when you put the helmet of salvation on, you are reminding yourself that even though I die, I will live. I have eternal freaking life. Freaking was added, emphasis added. You have eternal life. It's like, there's lots of movies like this, like The Edge of Tomorrow, uh, Groundhog Day, any Groundhog Day. 
Well, it's Groundhog Day again. I guess we're up here at Gobbler's Knob, right? Remember Bill Murray? And he keeps living the same day over and over again. The, 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 the helmet of salvation is that confidence knowing no matter what happens today, I have tomorrow. That's what it means to wear the, the, the helmet of salvation. Even if I die today, I am saved by the grace of God who died and gave himself up for me and rose again in victory and promises that I will have eternal life. Like I have been uh, memorizing John 3.16 with my youngest son uh, every day as I've taken him to daycare this summer. And he, his favorite word, he jumps to everlasting. So we'll like, he'll, he'll go, for God loved the world. He gave his son everlasting life. He just jumps, he just jumps right to it. And I'm like, buddy, the, the thou sh- you will not perish part's important, but I'm glad you love the good part. How many of you know we have everlasting life? That should really take the fear of today out of the picture, shouldn't it? That's what it means to have the helmet of salvation. Like if you're waiting for the test results, I, I would suggest you need to put on the helmet of salvation. Remind yourself that no matter what they say, ultimately I'm good. I've got not just extra lives for you gamers. I've got infinite life. I'll never be off the board. Like I will live forever. That's what it means to have the helmet of salvation. All right, I got I to get moving because I want to talk about the word of our testimony. But this is what it means. This, hopefully this is helping someone. This is what it means to apply the word, to apply the blood of the lamb to our lives, to know that you've been saved, to fasten into the truth of God that's been re- revealed in Christ Jesus, to wear the righteousness of Christ, to be standing and planted in the truth of the gospel, to put the shield of faith up. We live by faith and not by sight. And then it says, and the sword, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Now, the word of God here is not the word logos, which really would would mean like the Bible, what God has said. The word here is actually the word rhema. And the word rhema is more about the active spoken word of God in real time. So when someone gives a prophetic word, that's a rhema word. When I'm preaching right now, it's taking the logos and it's making it rhema. It's, it's putting it in real time. And so the rhema word here is not just reading the scripture, but it's putting the word of God in your mouth. That's what this is talking about. You overcome by the sword of the spirit. Now, I want to leap back. Now that I've, I've established that, I want to leap back to the word of our testimony. Everybody good with this? Take a screenshot. You got it? Okay, good. So it says, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb. So we didn't really do any of the actual heavy lifting here. Jesus did it. Amen. He conquered the enemy on our behalf. The blood of the lamb has done it, but it connects. It says the blood of the lamb. And it's almost like this is like a a symbiotic relationship. The blood of the lamb and the word of not Jesus's testimony. Whose? Our testimony. So to live the life of victory is resting in and applying what Jesus has done for you, but it goes further than that. It's actually proclaiming the truth of what Jesus has done and is doing and will do for you. It's putting a voice to your faith. The word of our testimony is the critical component that actually takes it from just this belief that we have to applying it in our lives in real time. It brings the reality and the truth of the kingdom and what Jesus has done into our lives in real time. I'll say it like this. Your faith is voice activated. 
Like the kingdom life is voice activated. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we could do a whole study on this to find out like in the kingdom of God, it tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. It's in Hebrews. You cannot interact with God without faith. Correct? Got it? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. So you, you can't interact with God without faith and you can't have faith without. So someone has to say, to speak, you have to hear about Jesus before you can believe in him. That's why Paul goes on and says, if they've not heard, how will they believe? You, you actually have to hear it. So in other words, our speaking is actually connected to the victory we walk in. The word we walk in. How many of you have seen that in the scripture? That our speaking in the kingdom, it actually triggers victory. Like, like remember uh, Joshua, seven times around the city of Jericho. And then what do they do? They, they quietly walked up to the, to the, to the walls. No, they, they lifted their voices in victory in faith and the walls came down. The most powerful words ever spoken, it is finished. Victory. Voice activation. So when we proclaim the word of God, this is actually the thing that triggers our victory. It's like a, it's like a gun. I, I know I've got like guns on my mind. I don't know what was weird, but it's like you could have a round in the chamber, but until you pull the trigger and the hammer hits it, the power of the round is, is kind of useless. It's not until that thing gets triggered. And that's like your voice. That's testimony. It actually is triggering and sending the word of God out in real time. That's what's going on. So how does the word work for us? You still good? This is going to help you because it's it's actually like applying the word of God in real time. So the word of our testimony, here's how it works. Our testimony, first and foremost, when you testify, when you retell the story of Jesus... It first and foremost enables us to receive what God has for us and it realigns us with the truth of the gospel. In other words, through the confession of our faith, the word is received. This is why uh, James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. You're forgiven by the blood of God, but healing takes confession. You gotta verbalize it, lay it before somebody to bring it out in the open. No confession, no reception. Faith in the word is voice activated. Look what, look what Paul says in Romans. Look at the scripture. It says, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you notice that connection? There it is. Confession in what he has done, testimony in what he has done activates that kingdom life. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So faith comes through hearing, he says later, through the word of Christ. So we have to learn to confess and testify to experience. Now, here's the other thing that testimony does for us. Our testimony of the word or our testimony of what Jesus has done, it actually prophesies, projects, and predicts. When you tell the story of Jesus, there is a predictive nature to it. Anytime you verbalize the story or testify to what Jesus has done, you are setting the parameters for that to happen again. 
Oh man, that is so good. That is such good news. Anytime you tell what Jesus has done, you are setting the groundwork. You are creating the soil for the seed of the word to get in there and to accomplish what only God can do again. That's why testimony is so powerful. Our testimony is seed, eternal kingdom, word of God, power of God, seed that we can sow anywhere. And the word of God does not return void. It produces fruit. That's what the testimony does. The testimony, when we testify. Now, hold on. Let me just, a little caveat here. When you testify about Jesus, amazing things happen. All right? So we're not talking positive thoughts here, y'all. Not good vibes only and crystals and all the things. It's testifying to what Jesus has done. That produces real transformation. Every time we tell our story, we give someone or something or some moment the chance to see it duplicated. Every time. And look, later on, it actually says in Revelation 19, I love this, we'll hit this next year probably. Revelation 19, it, it talks about uh, John gets confused and actually this, there's, it still exposes idolatry in his heart. It's really interesting, we should look at that later. But specifically, an angel says to John, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? It means anytime you speak about Jesus or you tell what Jesus has done, you're prophesying to the hearer that he can do it for you. Anytime you tell what Jesus has done, you are prophesying. Prophesying isn't just future telling, but it's actually the power of God being planted in a moment. You are prophesying that God can do it for you. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. If he did it back then, he can do it again. Every time. That's what it means, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you want to see somebody be set free the way that you've been set free, tell them how Jesus sets you free. You are predicting and prophesying their freedom. If you want to see somebody get healed the way that you were healed, tell them how Jesus healed you. You are prophesying their healing. That's what it means, that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And you don't need to have, this is why it's so amazing and powerful that God is going to overcome the enemy through his people by testifying to what Jesus has done for us. That's incredible. You think about, you think about the woman at the well. Remember that in John 4? Jesus ministers and saves this woman at, at the well. She's a, she's a train wreck of a woman, and God just radically meets her there. And then Jesus doesn't sit down and have catechism and doesn't get her to memorize the, the Torah. He just says, go and tell people what has happened here today in your words. And the first evangelist was sent out because Jesus knew the power is in what he has done in your voice. And when you give it a voice, it benefits the hearer. When you, pro when you testify, it creates the potential for the word of God to get access to all who are in earshot. So there's a couple of different groups that need to hear constant testimony. First and foremost, who benefits when you testify? I'm going to be done in just a second. In fact, keyboards can come back as the universal sign that I'm landing the plane. Who benefits when you start to testify? You know who the first person is? You. I did that this week. I was I mean, preparing this message and 
I was uh, driving by myself one afternoon and just kind of getting an onslaught of despair and discouragement and anxiety. And I just, I put this to the test and I just started testifying, driving along. God, you've never failed me once. You've never abandoned me. You've come through for me so many times I have lost count. I couldn't even record all the times you've just shown up on my behalf. You didn't just set me free, but you continue to transform me. You have brought our church thus far. You're not going to leave us behind. You're going to take care of us. You're going to give us solutions for today's problems because you gave me solutions for yesterday's problems. And I started just testifying to myself. And my spirit started being reminded, yes. Yes, that's true. And the word of God took root in my spirit. So when you start testifying, like sometimes just tell your, tell your story to your soul once in a while. Hey, soul, do you remember what you were like when Jesus found you? Let me remind you. Some of you need to learn how to preach to yourselves. Testify to what God has done to yourself. But then when we testify to others, so we benefit and others benefit. When we start to share what God has done, I was in such a beautiful moment. A couple, a week and a half ago, we had our staff retreat. And we ended our our staff retreat after a day of personal prayer and retreat. And we all gathered at Dayspring and we, we prayed and we sung. And we took a moment just to testify. And I'll tell you what, as we shared with one another and one, one person shared the, the amazing ability of God to restore a relationship. And another person just testified to how God in just a few short years had taken them from being just this, an addict to being set free and now ministering. And another person shared how God had answered specific prayers And over and over again, we just started to encourage one another with what God had done recently. It's powerful when the body learns how to testify to to one another. And I believe actually, maybe this is why God is putting this on my heart today. I believe that God really wants the church to ramp up testimony. Not just in service with a microphone. I mean like out in your life. Who have you told lately what Jesus has done for you? Maybe that's evangelism. Maybe evangelism isn't so much that you could sit down with someone and take them through the Romans road. Some of you don't even know what the Romans road is. That's okay. Maybe evangelism is, look, I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. And when I gave my life to Jesus, things started changing. And when you tell people about that, what could happen? Like some of you are overthinking it. Some of you are thinking, oh, I can't preach. I don't know the scripture that well. You don't need to. You just need to tell his story and how it affected your story. And that can change their story. So when we testify, I'll I'll, I'll end with this. When we testify, we prophesy. It declares to all who hear, if he did it back then, he can do it again. Someone needs to hear that today. God is still able The blood is still the blood. It still covers us. It still heals. It still sets free. It still forgives. It hasn't run out. If he did it back then, he can do it again. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. When you testify, you are telling somebody else there's reason to have hope. You're giving someone hope. Who have you told lately? Says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I want to challenge you this week. I'm going to pray for us. But I want to challenge you to tell two people. Some of you just got super nervous. 
I want you to tell two people. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. You don't have to like call them to the altar. Hey, meet me at King's Church at the altar. And I'm gonna like be at work and just slip it in there. Hey, man, I'm just in this different place than God has. Just tell them what God has done for you. Tell two people what God has done for you. Well, why don't you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray for us as we dismiss. Let me ask you a question. Where does your confidence come from? If you aren't covered by the blood of the lamb, I'll lovingly say you have no chance against this enemy. You have no chance. But for those who believe, we have victory, freedom, salvation, peace, hope, joy, meaning, fulfillment, restoration, satisfaction. I could keep going. Maybe there's somebody here today, maybe watching online, I don't know, but maybe you, you just need to put your faith in Jesus and you've been waiting for like this great explanation and there's great answers and, and we'll, we talk about that in our church, but nobody comes into the kingdom head first. You come in humbly, heart first. God, I, I just choose to trust you today. I don't, even, I don't even know all the unanswered questions. I'm just gonna trust you. Maybe there are some Christians that need to get saved again and not in the sense of that God's work is insufficient, but you've been trusting other things. Let me remind you today that Jesus, his grace, his blood is sufficient to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to give eternal life. And now let me just say this over the church. Go tell about what Jesus has done. Tell somebody about what Jesus has done. Some of you are like, I'm in a terrible season of my life. Tell somebody that Jesus hasn't abandoned you. Some of you just saw your greatest breakthrough. Tell somebody. Tell somebody about what Jesus has done. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that you are speaking to us from a place of victory and that we can know that we overcome by your blood. Thank you that your death and your resurrection is sufficient for us to have reconciliation and restoration and eternal life. Lord, I pray that the truth of the gospel would settle into the, to Christians today. And God, I pray for the one today who by faith is gonna put their faith in you for the first time. And I ask God that they would reach out in prayer and just ask for forgiveness for their sins. And they'd call upon the name of Jesus and they'd hear that verse I read earlier that anyone who confesses, who believes in their heart, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and confesses with their mouth will be saved. Receive your salvation. And Father, right now, I just wanna pray. Just church, would you just open your hands wherever you are? I wanna pray right now for an activation of the voice of the church. Open our mouths, God. Lord, we reject that it needs to be through a preacher or it needs to be through a professional communicator or it needs to be through perfect environment or certain, we reject it. And God, we just say this mouth is yours to use. God, help us testify to the good things you have done for us to build ourselves and each other up. Activate the church in Jesus' name. Activate our voice. Loosen our voices in the name of Jesus. Lord, we look this week for open doors to tell somebody about how good you are to us and that you're good to them too. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.